This is the Back in the Day podcast, unscripted stories from the old neighborhood. All right. Hey, thanks for joining us today, uh, listeners. It's, it's Mickey Pascarella with Back in the Day podcast, and I've got James Trovarello with us today. Really, really happy to, to have James with us. James, say hello. Hi, Mickey. Nice to talk to you. Good to, good to get connected. Tell uh, the listeners just a little bit about um, hey, where you came from, what are you doing now, and and uh, you know, where you grew up and everything. Well, a long-time resident of South Philadelphia. I grew up here, uh, attended school here through Temple University, and moved around the country uh, for several years back in the 70s, in the New York area, North Jersey area. But uh, at this point, I am retired from the work I did uh, in law enforcement and in private detective work. And uh, been making wine for quite a long time been part of my family for forever and it's uh, one of my favorite subjects (laughs) well and so we had a chance to chat uh, a week ago or so just to kind of get connected and and get teed up for the for the podcast today I think I remember you saying that your family has been doing this for 500 years they're in the fifth century the fifth five about 500 years we're approaching that now uh, one of the one of the many hobbies that I had was uh, genealogy, Italian genealogy, Sicilian mm-hmm. genealogy, and I spent uh, quite a number of decades uh, researching my family's history, and I was able to unearth dozens of documents uh, going back to the early 1600s, showing continuously father to son the uh, the sale of uh, vineyards to each other, development of grapes, contracts for the sale of grapes. Uh, uh, legal documents are always related to uh, grapes and wine and vineyards, and uh, literally through our family arriving in this country in the last uh, century, it's been that way continuously. Yeah. Wow, that's that's something. I that I didn't expect that to be um, your resume when we first spoke. That's, that's really <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. so tell me about you know mm-hmm. kind of your oldest memories and earliest memories of of you and your family making wine? Well, uh, yeah, it literally goes back to, uh, you know, me as a young boy uh, attending those big family dinners on Sunday uh, afternoon with parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, flying all over the place, and there was always wine on the table. As, hmm. as, as children, you know, we were always curious. And uh, that age, like five, six, seven, you know, the adults would dole out a little bit, maybe an ounce or two of wine and a little glass for you, mix it up with maybe some cream soda or cherry soda to make it palatable. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was like the, that was the beginning of things. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it was, it was something that uh, I think every kid, you know, we saw wine all the time. I mean, there's wine uh, at the table every night. And, of course, the Sunday dinners, it was just a, a lots of wine. And, uh, of course, uh in my particular family, they were involved with uh, the production and selling of wine <laughs> all through prohibition. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've heard that was the case from time to time. That was the case. You know, uh, in, in the uh, 1000 block of Federal Street, uh, there were lots of people making wine and selling it to others. Uh, my particular grandparents uh, were taking care of a lot of people with that request. Uh, there were lots of Italian immigrant people living in the neighborhood that literally uh, went to my grandparents' home almost every day and had 
lunches made for them or dinners made for them, and of course they they bought the homemade wine. Mm-hmm. So wine has just been you know everywhere, and we always knew people that made wine, and it's just a second nature thing, really. We didn't really give it a lot of thought. So did you grow up on the ten hundred block of Federal? I didn't. My father did. I lived there as a as a child uh, okay. for a year or two, and then we we moved on to another location in South Philly. Give me give me just a sense of scope. So if you had you know, yeah. sixty houses on the ten hundred block of Federal, thirty thirty each side, say, how many houses would there be wine being made in the basement? Well, okay, so the ten hundred block really wasn't there weren't sixty houses. There might have been more like maybe fifty, but I would say uh probably twenty percent of the people uh, right? on the block. Yeah, yeah, at, at a particular time. I mean especially during I mean so so my father told me, especially during Prohibition, mm-hmm. uh nineteen twenty to nineteen thirty three where, you know, there was just a, a huge request for wine. So Everybody did it. Everybody did it because grapes were being sold uh, at the Ninth Street Market. There, it didn't take. Uh, it wasn't a long trip to go buy fresh grapes uh, right after harvest time. And so, you know, what are you doing with wine grapes? You're making wine. <laughs> they they did need your degree in law enforcement to know what was happening with those wines after purchase. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it, it just was—it's it, just a second nature thing because you know that neighborhood, especially in those earlier times, 20s, 30s, 40s, were loaded with Italian immigrants, Syrian people, Lebanese people. Everyone drank wine. Hmm. And so, and so, it, did you call it Italian wine? You know, we didn't call it. I mean, when I say we, I certainly wasn't born then. I was born in the 50s. Yeah, but uh, you know, we never referred to it anything other than just wine. Now, some wine. other people called it things that uh, we didn't particularly like to hear. Uh, you know, I, I did hear the, the term over the years, "dago wine," "dago mm. red." Uh, not a nice thing to hear, but that's mm. the way other that's the way outsiders would call right. it because they meant that it was homemade wine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, it wasn't a high-quality wine. I mean, now that I think about those early tastings. <laughs> uh, versus what we're what we're making and drinking today, you know, there wasn't the instrumentation uh, available. Uh, the more scientific approach today, with how uh, we locate and understand the, the the values and alcohol and sugar and how yeast works. The the that early wine was, <laughs> uh, well, it was very strong. Uh, of course, those people made lots of mistakes with temperature and you know. It's 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 a it's a situation just changed over time. It became much more professional. Uh, there weren't there wasn't a lot of wine at the um, at the state stores in those years. You, you you know you saw the same few bottles, the same few importers. Okay. So that changed a lot as well as new as new importers and new vineyards opened in Italy because Italy made a very big step up in in their production and in their their wine and classifications and so forth. So. Uh, the whole thing just moved notch, several notches higher and higher, including the, the making of homemade wine. Mm-hmm. So if you went to the state store in 1970, there yeah. were a lot, on balance, a lot, le- lot fewer selections of wine versus other spirits. Yeah, a lot, a lot less uh, fewer selections available. You know, you saw the same big names, uh, mm-hmm. and they did not have a lot of variety. Uh, within mm. within those companies, so and of course it was just considered quote table wine, right? Quote, okay, quote. you know okay. table wine was was and that's what it basically 
homemade wine is. It is table wine. But today you have uh, the chance of buying grapes, a variety of grapes from, from California, from South America, from Europe. And none of that existed, you know, years ago uh, at all. And so that the definition of table wine back then, was it just that the, the grapes weren't necessarily tracked and sourced and you couldn't track the variety? Well, they, they, there wasn't a lot of variety available, number okay. one. Uh, number two, the grapes took a long time to get to, say, Philadelphia if they were coming from California. You know, it took several days to get here, and, you know, sometimes the temperature – uh, during the trip, changed the changed the uh, the taste of the wine. Uh, mm. it literally ruined them. Sometimes you'd see wine that uh, you know already looked discolored. The grapes were looked discolored. If you tasted, mm. you realized they were already on their way out. It wasn't going. You weren't going to make a good wine. Uh, but um, uh, you know, as I say, over years now, you know they're re- using refrigerated trucks. And yeah, things things have changed. They got to figure it out these days. Oh, yeah. A minute ago, you said that the, the alcohol content was higher. Was that a kind of a consistent theme, as they just didn't shut the fermentation down early? They didn't, they, you know, they had trouble with fermentation. They, again, they didn't have instrumentation to recognize, you know, the alcohol level in, in, in the yeah. juice of the yeah. grape. So, yeah. you know, they were inadvertently making, you know, maybe the yeast wasn't working correctly and it didn't eat up enough sugar. And so, sure enough, you're ending up with a, and I'm going to take a guess and say 15, 16, 17 percent alcohol. Uh, a very strong glass of wine. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You weren't going to drink much of it. it probably it didn't smell too good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I drank a lot of homemade wine over the years from a lot of people in South Philly. And, uh, you know, some of it was good. Some of it, a lot of it was not that good. Yeah. Um, yeah. For over several times, I've judged some of, one of the several judges in, in some wine contests and where I'd have to sit there, several of us, and taste maybe 100 wines during the during evening, all homemade wine. Yeah, maybe 90 of those wines weren't that good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but like I said, things have elevated. People are making very good homemade wine today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I love the history. So tell me about how you got going. Well, you know, uh, we, I made some wine uh, with my father. My father was an old-time champ. I mean, he made wine forever, mm-hmm. uh, literally. He, he and his uh, five brothers, they made wine for my grandparents, who, like I said, were selling it. So... Um, he taught me a little bit, you know, we, uh, we had a simple operation, you know, it, it takes several people to make wine, you know, it's, it's a very hard thing to do on your own by yourself. It's, it, it, it is hard work it was even harder. Uh, things are getting easier with, with hydraulics and things like that. If you want to invest some money in some of these more advanced products. But, um, so I made some wine with, uh, with my father and then, uh, we moved that I moved on, like I said, I moved around the country. And so I broke away for quite a while, but I never stopped drinking wine. I drank wine, drinking wine every night of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we resettled back in Philly in the seventies, uh, hooked up with some old friends who were interested in making it and, uh, been making wine now for, oh, I don't know, 35 years or so with, uh, essentially a few of the original crew. And mm-hmm. um, we've been making so, but I've gone in and out of different groups, uh, making wine with a lot of different people, a lot of different approaches, and uh, we continue to do it today. Yeah, and it's been so much fun. I, I love it. And when, so, when you said that uh, making wine takes more than one person, did, do you mean that the fear, uh, the the sheer physical nature of crushing that many grapes, or what did you yeah. mean? It, it it's all of that. It's it's a physical process of you know. From you, from when you buy the grapes, handling you know 45, uh, 40 to forty-five pound 
groups of grapes that you have to buy maybe two or three thousand pounds of this. You have to handle all that. You have to dump that all those grapes into the stemmers. You have to handle all the buckets you know, of uh, the crushing, the pressing. It's it's not easy. It's it's mm-hmm. just uh, you know it's it's really uh, fit for, great for young people. But as you get older, you realize that you're looking for simpler ways. So. Uh, you know, it, to be to do all of that on your own literally is a difficult thing. So with mm-hmm. two or three or four people, you know, the labor is uh, is spread out among a couple of people, and it's easier. Because, you know, whatever you're you're making a couple of couple of barrels of wine, that's going to take several days, mm. uh, several days in a row of you know of cleansing and you know handling barrels and like I said, all the the weight of the grapes. Uh, it's <laughs> It's not. It's not a simple thing. It's a, it sounds like a lot of work. It is. Um, it's a lot. So, do you remember sort of what time or what year or or, or range of, of years mm-hmm. did the? You know, so, you talked about that ten hundred block of federal being about a twenty percent winemaker um, population, so to speak. Yeah. Do you remember when that started to decline and what it felt like? No, I actually I, I I don't. I mean, I I couldn't tell you what years. You know, I know after prohibition. Again, this, these are things that I learned from my father, and my uncles. You know, of course, uh, you know that was there. You'd see a drop from night the 1930s on. Uh, 1933, I think prohibition went out, and uh, I, I'm sure, as my father told me, that you know it became much more available in stores. Uh, people were starting to slack off. Of course, you know the the police were aggressive in those days too. I mean, it did occur to my, it, it did happen at my grandparents where the police came in and uh, broke all the barrels and made all the Is water. that right? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah what yeah. year was that? That that was like the early 30s? No, actually it wasn't. It was in the late 30s, early 40s. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was uh, people would turn each other in you know, oh. eliminate, to eliminate the competition. But, How um, about that? Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that occurred. Uh, but... Um, uh, to answer your question, uh, I don't have a really strong feel on when a large decline occurred as, as you know, maybe the production stores increase. Um, I, I just know that in general, the uh, wines that were coming into the country from places like Europe, Western Europe and, and South America increased in the, in the 70s. So, but but again, I mean, we were always familiar with people uh, making homemade wine and having it for sale. Uh, you know, if you wanted homemade wine, it was widely available. Uh, you know, you knock on someone's door, I want a gallon of wine. You know, and, and it was a five dollar uh, cost. So that's just five bucks for a gallon, huh? Five bucks, and that increased to ten. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we heard about the increases, but uh, you know, again, we we drank our own wine. We we yeah. we, we enjoyed making our own. Uh, we didn't make any anything sophisticated. Uh, it was it was good wine, and we we you know took a lot out of it. it. It was quite enjoyable to make our wine, to make our product. You know, today if you watch food shows and wine shows, you hear about how people are connected to what they're making and and realize. You know the things that come from the ground or from the location where you are. You know it's it's all about the terroir and location. Well, that's the way we feel about when we're drinking our wine. When we're when we're making wine together, four or five guys, and we're joking and we're having our little party and we're drinking our wine and we're having our our super sad at the same time. We're we're having we're putting 
positive vibes into making that wine. And I'll tell you, we really believe that we get that back when we when we finally make that wine and bottle that wine and taste it. Oh, that's it, right? Is is we've 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 really uncovered it. We've had a few of these conversations, and I don't know anywhere near about uh, enough about this as, as anyone who uh, is is super focused on it. Yet, what I mm-hmm. what I have heard consistently is that it isn't as if this homemade wine was the best wine in the world or the best tasting wine in the world, and, and as you said, wasn't error free, right? There were some batches coming out that weren't the best. Yet, that wasn't necessarily the story. The story no, yeah. was it was your own. The story is it's your own. You know, you remember making it. You realize that you've been doing something continuously, you know, in your family, in your friends' families. I mean, you know, maybe my friends didn't, you know, didn't, uh, uh, were not able to, to locate the kind of documentation on it, but there's no doubt about it that uh, the people down here that, uh, that came from Italy, came from Western Europe, you know, these, these people made wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's been a constant, I think, in, uh, in Western civilization for, for quite a long time. So, yeah, it's yours. You know, you know, you put the, uh, the blood, sweat and tears into making it. And, um, you know, whatever the result is, it's, it's yours. Were, were restaurants locally serving any of these homemade ones? You know, I, um, I don't recall people making homemade, uh, selling homemade wine in a restaurant or, 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 offer, or offering it. I mean, we always went to restaurants that uh, had wine. Again, once again, it was one of those things where the wine list was, was kind of short, mm-hmm. you know, unless you went to a center city restaurant, maybe an Italian restaurant or a French restaurant that was a little more advanced with this cuisine. Mm-hmm. They might, they might've had a bigger seller available. Uh, but uh, generally, you know, you uh, went into a place in South Philly, uh, as we always patronized, and they had a few wines available. But uh, and I know that you know when when you went into a bring your own bottle uh, type place, a BYOB, and maybe you didn't bring your own wine. You know, the uh, the proprietor would be kind enough, maybe he'd share some some wine with you, and mm-hmm. didn't even charge it didn't even charge you. Mm-hmm. And that still goes on today in uh, yep. in several places. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Do you remember any of the brands that were on the limited uh, wine menus of the restaurants back then? Oh, that's a great question. So, uh, uh, well, Pio was a uh, a big name. Uh, the Pio wine, P-I-O, was, and I and I still think it it may be around today. Uh, Gallo, the Gallo brothers, you know, they were out of California. They were an old Italian uh, winemaking family. Yeah. Yeah, we'll uh, that today. yeah, you know, that's that's what you saw. It was, again, it was, I mean, this stuff was sold in gallons, literally. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way people bought it. And, uh, you know, and, and I mean, the immigrants bought it as well. Uh, they felt that that was fine. That was that was good enough uh, for them. They didn't have to have a high-quality wine. They weren't looking for Brunellos or Barberas. They were looking for table wine to, mm-hmm. to eat with their dinners every night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember my, my grandfather, um, born in the 20s, uh, Italian, and he would have a short glass of wine. Right, that's the sometimes the Italian wine glass is that little tiny kind of a miniature bowl. Yeah, is there, is there a name for that glass? Well, we refer to those things as bicchieri, a little, uh, just a little glass bicchieri. Okay, got, got it. <laughs> Love it. Well, he would have a, a a glass that size most nights during dinner when we were spending time over with our our grandparents. And it was that same bottle of Gallo, that gallon, gallon jug of Gallo yeah. that he would keep in 
kind of the pantry um, off the dining room, yep. and it would last for months at room <laughs> temperature. Yeah, I know that several people would put them uh, like right under, uh, you know, where, where your where your sink would be. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's where he, that's where he kept it. They they would put it under there, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, I saw that I was been in many households where they would, you know, <laughs> open that little door and there. You would you like some? <laughs> and, and it was, yeah, yeah. How was and, it? And, and and so how was it not just the worst? vinegary tasting spoiled bottle of wine after 60 days being open at room temperature yeah i i think that uh i think that after maybe two or three days that would would have lost uh, all of its quality because uh really uh if you if you expose a bottle of wine in one place and and the temperature changes in that room more than 10 percent one mm-hmm. uh, more than 10 degrees one way each way mm-hmm. either colder or hotter mm-hmm. there's going to be there's going to be an effect on that bottle of wine um, we, we, I've lost several bottles of wine over the years where we've left them maybe in the kitchen and mm-hmm. we were out of the house for a few days and the house became heated, came back and that wine was all bad. Uh, so, I, uh, yeah, temperature is very, very important. Uh, maybe preservatives. Was it, was it heavily preserved? Cause he drank it for a month. More. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure whether they used, uh, sulfites or, or not in that stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't. Had know. To have. He, he may not have the most refined palate, by the way, but I know it wasn't <laughs> rancid when he was drinking it. That's, I'm pretty sure that was the case. Either that, or he's definitely going to get his money's worth out of that. <laughs> well, that uh, not going too deep into my into our uh, upbringing, but yes, that was certainly uh, part of the equation. Because I'm going to drink this wine until until it's gone, no matter what it no matter what it takes before I buy a new one. Yes, that is accurate. That is accurate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what well, so, so so fast forward to, to closer to today. You're retired now. Before you retired, what did your, your involvement in, in winemaking look like? Oh, I, look, I, I made wine all through my working years. I mean, we, I took the time to set aside the, at, at harvest time and all uh, to, uh, you know, check, check with the, we used to go buy our grapes, and we did it all. We, it, we invested uh, two or three or four days of uh, – of you know crushing the grape, pressing the grape, doing all that we had to do, and then of course you know once you get through that, then it's 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 only several months later uh, where you're checking your barrels and you're and you're racking the wine every now and then before bottling time, literally almost a whole year later. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we've I've made wine uh, my entire working life. Yeah, yeah, and so and so large scale commercial winemaking. Large scale commercial winemaking. Yeah, is that what you would, would call your industry? No. no okay. No, no, okay. No, 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 we're only talking about a barrel or two, you know, to share okay. with friends. We're talking about, you know, uh, maybe a, a 50 to 100 gallons. You know, in the United States today, uh, 100 gallons of wine you're permitted to make on your own. If okay, you're living it. in a multi-household family, you can make 200 gallons a year. Okay. And, uh, you know, you're splitting up a couple of barrels with friends. You're ending up with about 50 gallons uh, per person. Which is which should certainly last you hopefully the whole year. It I should mean, last a little while, yeah. You know, you're making you're making you know making one uh, one variety. I mean, uh, you know, we're also going to the store and buying you know the whites that we don't make and the rosés mm. that we don't make. You know, so uh, if you like wine, you know, you're trying a lot of different wines. And you know, listen, you you go to one of the big outlets today and they have several thousand varieties of wine available. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. 
Was that more difficult? I, I haven't heard anyone I've, I've spoken with so far do any any kind of um, really very interested, frankly, in either the whites or the rosés. Are they are they hard to make? Well, you know, I gave up making whites, to tell you the truth, and mm. uh, I should have stayed with it because today uh, it's much easier to 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 make it to get it clearer. Uh, one of the one of the frustrations was we were making white wine and uh, it tasted okay, but it didn't look too pretty. Oh. It was, it was uh, very garish, and we tried all kind of little techniques, and it just wouldn't work. So we gave up on it. It's easier to buy it. <laughs> Interesting. So it yeah. didn't look it didn't look tasty, although it was. Yeah, it didn't look well. Now, now I know that people I know people that are making white wine today are making it very well. They're making it very clear. You know, there's different additives you can that they can drop into the wine to clear it up. Do they rack it a little more? They use cheesecloth. There's a variety. There's a variety of techniques to to clean that wine up and make it crystal clear. And that's what you want to see in a nice glass of wine. Yeah, yeah. So, but the rosés have come on lately. The rosés have uh, rosés have always been around, but uh, lately they've kind of escalated. They've come to the top, and a lot of people. You know, want to drink rosé? It's very nice, very nice wine, very nice drink. Uh, certain times of the year with certain foods, sure. I never made rosé. We didn't do that. Got it. Got it. Well, is there anything I should have asked you that 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 I uh, that I didn't, or anything you also wanted to share that that we we should really know about? You know, wine is is it's one of those things. I mean, it's it's always been around. It's been around for thousands of years. I think it's going to. I suspect it's going to be around for thousands of years. I mean, there's more people you know, interested in, in, in uh, making wine than ever before. You know, we, my little group went the, the, to the first year, the first two years of the Vendemia here in South Philly, when uh, way before it was uh, held in Gerard Park here, and it was held down at, uh, at the old uh, St. Agnes Hospital grounds mm-hmm. in 1996 and 1997. And I remember going to that with a few of my wine partners at that time. We took some wine with us. We didn't even know it was going to be a wine contest. Hmm. And we had about seven or eight bottles of wine with us, and we entered a couple of in, into the little contest, and we won first prize. And How about it? So we, we got a kick out of that. We returned the next year, and we won first prize and second prize and a couple of things that we uh, entered. And then, of course, they moved it on to Gerard State. But I remember those first few years of attendance being three, four hundred, five hundred people. And then, of course, you know, it exploded with the Vendemia here at Gerard Park, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were showing up. Wow. And that's where we would talk to uh, literally hundreds of people, hundreds of families uh, that were involved in homemade wine. So it's really, really a, a very widespread practice and interest. And I think that, uh, you know, there's wine parties, there's wine contest there's they're all over the place and uh the, the amount of people that show up for these things is astounding so it's not some little hidden thing you know that's going on at the sellers i mean it's 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 out there and a lot of people are enjoying it and they're they're learning about how to increase the quality of their wines and it's just they've just uplifted you know the, the whole uh, the whole thing they just moved it to 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 new heights and it's, it's and it's great to see that it's great to see it's continuing it is and I, I tell you that they're gonna the, the folks that are getting involved in it, newly interested these days, have got a little ways to go to earn your kind of pedigree. You know, I, uh, if you don't mind me saying, you know, um, I just like to say a little bit about a guy who just recently passed away. He passed Please away do. Week. His name is Frank Valerio. Mm-hmm. Frank passed away last week. Frank was one of the best winemakers you would absolutely find down here in South Philly. 
And he, he you know, I'm sure he's going to hopefully that his group will continue to make wine. Uh, that guy has done so much uh, to escalate the quality, and uh, he, everyone knows Frank. So I hope that whoever listens to this podcast recognizes that. They, a lot of people don't know he's passed away yet, but it's about 10 days now. So so salute to Frank. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, prayers to Frank and his family. Well, I I tell you, um, this was fascinating, and and again, the sheer the sheer duration of, of uh, your family's dedication to uh, I almost said the sport, not exactly a sport, sometimes it seems as fun <laughs> as a sport, um, is is really something. So I I can't thank you enough for for being on the show. I know that uh, those in South Philly who who listen regularly are, are going to be uh, intrigued and fascinated by both your history and and the recent history of, of what went on in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s. So thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. Thank you, Mickey. Take care. Take care, James. Bye-bye. This has been Back in the Day Podcast, unscripted stories from the old neighborhood. Have your own story to tell of life back in the day? Know someone else who does? Reach out to us. You can find our contact info below in the show notes. This is Mickey Pasquarella signing off. See you next time.